We are so glad you decided to join us today for our Compelled podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. We would love for you to message us on social media and connect through our website at compelled316.com. Now let's get started. Bob Morrison is here to get us thinking about what it means to live a compelled life. Sometimes you cross paths with people who just leave an impression on you. I mean, they really leave an impression on you. I've been working down in the Florida Keys and most of my days are go to work at dark, come home at dark, come home, get rid of my scrubs, throw a pair of shorts on, some flip-flops. I walk out to the water's edge and I take a flashlight and I watch for sharks or I just watch for maybe the occasional dolphin to go by and just shining the light down in the water, you see some pretty cool things. Um, All kinds of fish, sometimes jellyfish, stingrays. I don't know, for me, it just kind of takes me to a different place. But I always have this uh, fishing cart with me and it's got like little sections of white PVC pipe about a foot and a half long. They're zip tied to this cart and there's a cooler on there and there's a flashlight and i put some weird stuff on there like i have uh, my indiana license plate uh, the old one from my car on there and so it just looks like this old fishing cart you'd see on the bridges down there and about three or four of my favorite poles and i usually just take the cart i drag it out to the water Uh, sometimes i just get one pole out i throw a, a shrimp a live shrimp if I have it, way out as far as I can to sit on the bottom. And then I set the pole in one of those PVC holders in the cart so it kind of anchors it down. And most of the time, the fish I catch are, you know, small, like what we catch in Indiana, bluegills, maybe a one pound snapper, something like that, but nothing really big. One day, I had something take off with my line and I pulled the uh, rod out of the holder and I set the hook and I'm really leaning into it and I realize I've got my ocean rig with my heaviest line, my, my toughest hook and the pole is bent over almost double. And there's some people around me and they're watching and they said, dude, you're not going to turn this fish, your pole's going to snap in half. And I'm really cranking on it. And you have this thing on the reel, uh, which is when you crank on the reel, it should pull the line in and you reel the fish in. But it has this safety feature called a drag. And all the drag is, it's like a, a very simplified clutch. It keeps the line from breaking, but when you're cranking on it, you don't really pull the fish in. Neither one of you is winning. It's like tug of war where both of you are at a standstill. So I'm cranking on the reel. I move the fish maybe 10 feet towards me, and then it takes another 30 feet out into the ocean. I move it 10 feet towards me, it goes another 30 feet out into the ocean. And this goes on for minutes and minutes and minutes, and the pole is still bent over double. And I'm thinking, this thing is massive. And one of the guys says, this fish has to be as big as a couch. We're talking a sofa-sized fish. No big deal. I'm cranking on it. I'm thinking maybe at some point it's going to get tired and it's going to come up closer to the beach where I can get a hold of it. And then I realize this fish is probably so big, 
I'm not going to be able to pull it in. And as I'm weighing my options and cranking on it, trying to reel, keeping the pull as tight as I can, the line finally gives way and just snaps. And that's the end of the battle. But the part that messed with my head was wondering about how many times have I been in the ocean and some massive fish, a shark, stingray the size of a car hood, something massive was probably swimming right by me and I didn't know it. And so I was looking at the news yesterday and today and it's have all these reports about uh, shark sightings. And it says spring breakers in Fort Myers have seen a, a shark that was like 12 foot long, 1600 pounds. Uh, another guy catches the largest shark uh, in Miami. A guy catches one from the from the beach. Says it's the largest shark ever taken from land, from not from a boat. Another guy on YouTube, he goes down to the bridge where I fish all the time. He's got a fish on it's like 600 pounds. He has to walk it to the bank just to go down there and try to get a hold of it. And it blows me away to think all those fish are out there in the ocean and me out there in my kayak. And I was never really scared before. You know, I guess maybe I just took it for granted that what was out there uh, would leave me alone. But when I really start thinking about the size of those fish, I realize um, I'm just a snack for them. And at any time I can fall out of the kayak and become a meal for one of these big fish, shark, or whatever. And it kind of put this fear in me. Maybe I don't want to get in the water in the ocean anymore. You know, maybe, maybe that's not the wisest thing to do. And it just has me kind of stopped in my tracks because I've always been such an adventurer. You know, I like to go places where things are unknown. I like to have a little bit of fear. Uh, in my day-to-day. Uh, my son is probably one of those people who uh, truly seems fearless to me. There's not too much he wouldn't try. There's not too much he wouldn't do. And uh, as I get closer to July, and I talk about going to run with the bulls in Spain, in Pamplona, I was going down my short list of people who would go with me. And I was thinking, who would go with me and climb into the streets of Pamplona just as they turn loose an entire herd of angry, irritated bulls and let them chase us through the streets. Now, it sounds like maybe if you're young and you're fast, you have a better chance, but not true. I went and asked somebody about the story of how far do the bulls run, how long is the route, all that stuff. And I got online and I found a guy who explained it the best. He said, here's the deal. An Olympic runner can run the route in approximately less than one minute, like about 58 seconds. But the average bull that they turn loose can run it in 45. And then he just pauses because what he's trying to say to me is, you're not an Olympic runner, so you need to get it out of your head that you're gonna outrun the bull. The only thing you can do is outmaneuver the bull. And if it's multiple bull, Uh, things can get a little weird. You don't know if one's going to run past you and then make a U-turn and come back, and you're the first thing it sees. Uh, But I've got it in my mind that I'm going to do this, and I thought, well, 
If I'm going to do it with anybody, it's going to be with my son Bridger. He is uh, definitely an adventurer, a risk taker, likes uh, adrenaline. He's one of those guys, I think, regardless of what I ask him, he would say, yeah, let's do this. Let's go be scared. And I was thinking about how we go through our day-to-day life and the battles that we face, the obstacles, the bad things that come our way, and how that some of those things can really scare us. So I was out there on that point down in the Keys fishing, and as I put my cart and stuff away, I, I was rowing it back to the place I'm staying. It's just a little camper spot in an RV park. And uh, a guy walks by and he says, did you catch anything? And we begin having a conversation about, uh, did I catch any fish? How long have I been staying down there? And then he goes on to tell me he's from uh, up north. And by up north, we mean the Midwest, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Northern Illinois, places where it's still pretty chilly when uh, this time of year in March. And I said, well, what brings you down to the Keys, man? What would possibly Um, you know, why are you here? What's going on in your life? And he says, well, I got a buddy that uh, just found out that he's got terminal cancer. Uh, He's got pancreatic cancer, stage four, and he has a bucket list. And on his bucket list, he wanted to come to Florida to try to catch uh, a big fish, to go out deep sea fishing. So uh, he loads his buddy up, drives him all the way to Florida. They book a a trip out on the ocean, and lo and behold, they catch this big monster fish, and uh, his friend who is battling cancer has an awesome day on the ocean and gets to land this massive fish. And I said, hey, do you think I might be able to talk to your friend sometime while you're here? And he says, sure, yeah. In fact, that's him right there. He points to the guy. So I walk over to him, and... uh, introduce myself and we start walking around the RV park, just checking out the water, talking about fishing and just life in general. And then it hits me, man, I'm gonna have to do something that makes me uncomfortable, maybe makes me a little scared. And I said, dude, I I don't know an easy way to do this. So I'm just gonna stop and ask you And I'm sorry if I offend you, and I'm sorry if uh, this makes you uncomfortable. But I have to know this. Do you know Jesus Christ? And the guy stops in his tracks, and he turns and looks at me. And I said, have you been baptized? If you haven't, I want to do it. We'll wade into the ocean, and I'll just do it. And he looks at me. And he gives me this half smile because he's tired. He's been fighting chemo. He's lost all his hair. He doesn't weigh much, maybe a buck 30. And he says, you know, that's the first thing that my brother-in-law asked me was, do I know Jesus? Have I been baptized? And I said, yeah. I said, "I, I don't think I can sleep tonight not asking you that question. And he says, yeah, yeah, man, I understand. And he said, yes, I do know Jesus. I have been baptized and I'm ready. And we were getting ready to have more of a conversation, more of, uh, I guess, me asking him, are you scared? 
You know, things like, uh, have you thought about how this is all going to go down? But uh, his buddy and some other friends walked up, and he and I were unable to have that conversation. But I find that in this life that we're living, a lot of times I think that we believe that people aren't scared like we are or aren't afraid or filled with anxiety. I think we convince ourselves that we're the only ones that feel like that. And I was really thinking it would be cool if there was a way that I could have a conversation with some of the big guys, the big heavy hitters in the Bible. You know, one of them that always came to mind to me, Noah. I mean, Noah was basically living in an area that had not seen rain. I don't mean hadn't seen a lot of rain. I mean that hadn't seen rain. And then God says, Noah, I want you to build this boat. And I'm not talking like something with a few two-befores. I want you to build a boat that's really going to be big and tall. And it's going to take you months and months and months to build it. It's going to take all your attention. And it's going to be a massive boat. And I want you to build it in the backyard. Now, for most of us, I think just talking to God alone could be a little scary. You know, so many of us, I think we look at him like, like God is the principal at school. And we're about to find out why we're in trouble, what we've done wrong, that kind of stuff. But the reality is, He's more of a loving father who wants to instruct us or guide us. And so I think that for Noah, uh, you know, I, I want to ask him, dude, was it like totally freaky that God just spoke to you? Was it really weird to get up every day and work on this boat when there's not a lake around, there's no river, we're talking there's no rain? At some point, month after month after month, you got to be a little worried that your neighbors are talking about you, that people are going to say, you know, you've lost it, that you're a little bit cuckoo. I wonder how he kept his courage up to keep going, to keep building it. And I know, I know if, if you ask anybody in church, they're going to give you the churchy answer. They're going to say, well, you know, he just had the power of the Lord on him or he just had uh, the word of God in his heart. But the reality is we're still men. We're still men and we're still women. And anybody that says that we're not going to have fear of some kind in our, in our day-to-day lives or in our season of whatever, they're not telling you the truth. Because even Jesus, it says, was overcome just literally the day before he's going to be arrested and put on the cross. I mean, it says he's literally freaking out. He's losing his mind. He's sitting there talking to his father in heaven. Hey, God, hey, is there any way that we can maybe uh, do this without me being arrested and tortured and nailed to a cross? Is there is there another possible solution? This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus talking, asking God, how, you know, is there a way for me to get out of this? If there is, Let's do that. Let's let's go to plan B. But in the end, he finds out there is no plan B. There's only the plan that God has put together that says, no, I'm going to send my only begotten son to die for the sins of every living human being on the earth. 
for all the sins they've done, doing, or going to do. He's going to pay it in full. That's crazy. But he was scared. And then I was thinking about Abraham. If you don't know the story of Abraham, Abraham basically gets called by God to bring his son to be a sacrifice. I'm here to tell you, that would be overwhelming to take your little boy up into the mountains to the place where they do sacrifices. And normally a sacrifice would be a goat or a sheep, you know, a lamb. And he's getting this word from God. Hey, I want you to take your son up there, get all the wood stacked up ready for the fire, for the offering. And then I want you to make your son be the offering. So I want to go to Abraham and say, hey, dude, what was that like in that last 30 seconds when you had the knife out of its sheath and you lifted up over your head and you're thinking, man, this is it. I'm getting ready to slay my son to satisfy the request of God, the maker of the universe. Those last 30 seconds. I want to ask Abraham, what was the pucker factor right then? Was it extreme? Were you losing your mind? Were you thinking, uh, yeah, he's not going to do this. I'm going to call his bluff. No, he went the full distance. In fact, it says that Abraham, just as he raises the knife to plunge it into his son, God calls out and tells him, stop. This is so phenomenal how scared Abraham had to be at that moment as a follower of God because Abraham has always been telling God, you know, I'm yours. I'm your follower. I'm going to be obedient. I'll do what you ask me to do. You can't tell me he wasn't scared out of his mind. You can't convince me that he was not losing his mind walking his son up the side of the mountain knowing two are going up, one's coming back. And I just want to ask him, what was that like? Were you as scared as I think you were? We put so much bravado into the stories of the Bible. David walking out onto the battlefield, looking at a guy that's two and a half times his height, massive dude, carrying a spear with a tip that weighs eight pounds, much as a bowling ball. He's got armor, a shield, a spear, a sword, He's got this bellowing voice. And David trash-talking him, saying, I'm coming out to do the battle with you. And I want to ask David, was there ever a moment, did anything flash through your head that said, eh, I've bit off more than I can chew? This seems pretty intense. And I'm not sure that I want to battle a giant that big. But the Bible leads us to believe that David was not only unafraid but he was promising the giant how it was going to turn out and the verse that stuck in my mind is that one around 1 Samuel I think it's maybe 1440 something something like that you'll have to dig it out because I don't have a Bible in front of me right now but it says this is David talking and he says telling the giant that he is going to slay him, that he is going to win. And he says, for the battle 
is the Lord's. The battle's not ours, the battle is the Lord's. I think that's the clue. That's the clue for you and me. You know, because we try to micromanage it. We try to get up in the morning and we go face all the things we face, whether it's illness or not enough money or a crappy job or a broken relationship or just the crazy demons in our head. We, we face all that and we don't have a formula for overcoming it. We just tell ourselves, I got to figure this out. I got to do this battle. I've got to, I got to get smarter. I got to get wealthier. I've got to get stronger. I've got to get healthier, whatever it is. We're, we're scrambling, trying to find a solution. And it's all hidden in that one verse that says the battle's not ours anyway. I want to be able to figure out how to overcome my fear or anxiety to just say, okay, I'll buy into that. The battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. You know, when I was a kid, my dad tried to teach me to not be afraid of the dark by sending me into the dark. Don't do that to your kids. It messed with me big time. I love my dad dearly and my memory of my dad. But I'm here to tell you, when you send a little boy out into the backyard, into the garage, in the dark, with no flashlight, it's terrifying. And I would look at my mom and say, do I have to go? I'm scared. And she'd say, Jesus will be with you. Every time I ever got sent out into the dark, I never saw Jesus. And I'm not sure I even felt him. As a kid, all I felt was I was in the dark and it felt like the boogeyman existed. And we just bring an adult version of that into our lives. And we tell ourselves the unknown, whatever that is, that's what's going to get us. The unknown, whether it's that we're going to get a diagnosis of cancer or we're going to get bit by a big fish or we're going to have a broken relationship or we're going to have a job that fails us and we get left making too many payments that we don't have the money to cover. It's all about fear. And the only way that I can find any sanity or peace of mind is to think about it in terms of that God is going to do the battle. I mean, if I'm really his kid, he's going to do the battle for me. Just like my kids, if they need me to do the battle for them, I'll come running. I will never let them do the battle that I can do. And I think most of us feel that way as parents. So I think my prayer for you and I for this week is that we would figure out that the battle's not ours, that the battle is God's. And we can just lay our sword down and say, okay, God, I'm going to let you do this battle for me. If we can get to that point, maybe we'll be able to sleep a little bit better at night. Maybe we'll be able to not be afraid of the dark or afraid to go to the doctor or afraid to have those tough conversations at work or in our relationship. That's my prayer that we'd figure out the battle is not ours.
Hey, this is Bob Morrison. I'll see you out there somewhere. We are truly thankful you chose to spend some time with us here at Compelled. If you enjoyed today's message, we encourage you to like it, share it on social media, and check out our website, compelled316.com. God bless you, and we hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you somewhere out there.